Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. Over the last couple of weeks, right, we've been diving into this topic of relapse, right? We've been talking about uh, some different ways we can avoid relapse, some different ways we can combat relapse, right? We can deal with temptation, we can turn to the word of the Lord, we can turn to prayer, we can turn to all these different things. And unfortunately, the reality of relapse is it happens, Right? It's happened to us. We've struggled with sin. We've, we've said we're done and then we've gone back and, and done what we said we were done doing, right? And, and so as I was putting together this series, as we were taking a look at what different uh, scripture verses we were taking a look at and, and where we were going to go with the sermon series, I just didn't feel right If we didn't talk about how we should respond when relapse happens, right? What should we do when we find ourselves relapsing? When we sin, how do we go about handling it? And the thing that I love so much about Scripture is it has answers for us. And tonight we're going to take a look at some examples that we see in the Old Testament, some examples that we see in Scripture that show us how to handle sin when it comes our right way, right? How we should respond in the face of our own sin when we sin, how we should go about dealing with that, and some great examples of how not to respond in the face of sin, right? Some beautiful pictures of doing it wrong, right? Because I am a person who I love, I, I, I love seeing examples both of why I should do something some way and why I shouldn't do something another way. Because most of the time, I'm like the rebellious guy who's like, well, I'm going to do it the way that no one else figured out how to do it. And, and the Bible is really great at showing me, no, there's been other people who have tried it. It doesn't work, Justin. And I look and I go, all right, sounds good. You know, so, but we're going to jump into that. But before we do, let's pray. Let's, if you'd bow your heads with me. Lord, we love you. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and the ways that it gives us truth and examples and understanding. Lord, I pray that tonight, As we look at your word, you would give us that understanding. But most importantly, Lord, tonight, I pray that you would help us to not be defensive. Lord, that you would convict us and that in the face of that conviction, we wouldn't put up walls, we wouldn't make excuses, we wouldn't try and hide, but that we would turn solely to you in the face of our wrongdoings. Lord, we love you and we turn to you now. In your precious name, Jesus' name, amen. So open with me to the book of 1 Samuel. You may have to turn to your table of contents for that one. Uh, that's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm giving you the heads up now. We're going to be there in a little bit. But it, as we look at Scripture tonight, we're going to see an example of 
two different kings and how they respond in the face of their sin. And as we look at them, hopefully we get to see a picture of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so the first, uh, the first king that we're taking a look at is a guy by the name of Saul. Now Saul was like the picturesque king. He was the very first king of the nation of Israel. And he was like, when you picture a king and like a great king, that was like kind of him, right? He was known for being extremely good looking, right? Everyone looked at Saul and they're like, Yo, like that is a handsome man, right? And so like he is recorded in scripture as like this incredibly handsome face of the nation. Like people were excited because like they were, he was like their figurehead, right? And he looked cool, right? He looked cool. He looked like a, like just a bad guy, you know, like, like he looked like he knew what he was doing as a king. But not only that, Saul was a fantastic warrior. He was incredibly strong. He was a, he was a, a very accomplished hunter. He was an accomplished warrior, right? People looked at him and they were like, he is the king that we want. But the problem is Saul's integrity or who he was behind the scenes didn't really match up with the ideal king. Especially when the king of the nation of Israel, their role was not only to lead things like politically and to lead things like in a governmental structure and to lead things in terms of law, but they were also kind of in charge of, you know, like pushing the nation to where they should be spiritually. Now, that wasn't solely their job. There is also a prophet. And if you don't know what a prophet is, uh, a prophet is, the, the word that's kind of used to describe prophets is mouthpiece. I mean, so essentially what it is, is like God uses them as, as his personal megaphone. God goes to the prophet. He tells them, or he tells the prophet what he wants him to say. And then the prophet goes and he proclaims that to the king, to the people, to whoever needs to hear it. And the prophet was most definitely in charge of the spiritual life of the nation, but also in directing the king as he is supposed to be the example of the spiritual life of the nation. And so we see there's this interesting interaction that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 13, where Saul, he's gathered all these people because they're at war and they're, they're getting ready to go in this battle. And Samuel is the prophet. And so what Samuel says to Saul, he says, hey, the Lord told me, right, we're going to get ready. We're going to go against all these people, and they're all going to come against us. And what we're going to do before that happens is we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm going to do it. And so he says, here's the deal. I'm going to show up in seven days, and when I show up, I will do it. Don't take care of it beforehand. You are not responsible for that. That's a me thing. And what happens is Samuel is late. Samuel's not really on time. Saul waits the seven days. And what happens is Samuel's late and the people start getting antsy. They start seeing that, you know, Samuel hasn't showed up and there's, you know, these people that are coming against us and we might have to fight them and we're going to go at them 
and we're not going to have made sacrifices to, to the Lord. We're going to lose, right? The only way we would have ever won is if the Lord is on our side, and if we haven't made our sacrifices to the Lord, then we're gonna, just going to get destroyed. We're going to get killed. And so they start to like bicker, and they start to get afraid, and they start to like, oh, maybe we should just scatter and leave. And Saul hears this, and he decides, you know what? Samuel's a bit late, hasn't showed up, and what we can't have is people leaving, so I will take care of it. And so he says, hey, bring the sacrifices to me, I will make the sacrifice, and, and then we'll be good, right? Then, then we'll take care of business. And no sooner does he make the sacrifice than Samuel shows up, right? And Saul is just like immediately caught and Samuel's like, dude, what are you doing, right? Like, come on, right? It's just, it's so humorous to me, the sense of timing that we see in scripture. And so here we're gonna pick up in 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 11. <coughs> and we're gonna see Samuel's response to Saul and then what Saul has to say back to Samuel. Take a look with me. 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 11. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the, appoint, or the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines have come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And for the Lord, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And it's so interesting here because Samuel shows up and he just, he, he just offers like a simple like, what have you done, right? Why did you do it? What's going on? And like what happens with Saul is he, he proceeds to like verbally fall down the stairs, right? He like responds, he's like, oh, he's like, put that away. You know, like get that away. We're like, we didn't do anything. And he's like, well, okay, okay. You caught me, you caught me. But here's the deal. Like it, it wasn't my fault, right? When I saw that the people were scattering, and when you didn't come in the days appointed, and when the Philistines had gathered here to come against us, he's like, basically, it was everyone else's fault. In fact, I forced myself to do it. Sound like anyone you know? Man, that sounds like me to me, right? I look and I'm like, that's like my immediate response whenever I get called out. Like, it's not my fault. Maybe I don't say it's not my fault, but I'm like, here's this excuse. Or, man, that person forced my hand. Yeah, I may have been a jerk. I may have been rude. But, like, they were rude first. Or, or you know, like, you don't know the stress that I was under. That's why I relapsed. That's why I turned back to it. Or, man... I just can't make it past 90 days. That's just like a thing. 
And so, you know, like, it was 90 days and it just happened. And it's just excuse after excuse after excuse after, and we want to call them reason after reason after reason. But really what it boils down to is it's an excuse. I had to. It wasn't my fault. Somehow I'm exempt. It's not as bad as it really appears to be. It's a complete lack of responsibility. You, we will go to any length to try and absolve ourselves of the responsibility for our own sin. You want to know why? When I started off, I prayed that our defenses would be down. Because even now, some of you are sitting here and you're hearing this and you're like, I don't do that. Or I only do that because it's true. Right? There's an innate reaction like just deep in our hearts that immediately wants us to be like, it's not really that bad. Right? There was a reason. There's somehow a justification. Here's the truth. There is never a justification for sin. There's never a justification to disobey God. Sin is sin, and sin is disobedience to God. And you know what God says? The wages of sin is death. The only thing you earn from sin, the minimum wage for sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. But we like to pretend like we shouldn't be paid that. Or like it's not that bad. Or like somehow we get weaseled out of that punishment. That's the reality. There's no circumstance where it's okay. And so we see this this moment, right, where Saul, he completely rejects accepting any accountability, any responsibility for his own sin. And what the consequences comes down to, there's a bunch of consequences, but the one we really see highlighted here is Samuel says, if you just listened, and, it, and, and even if you had obeyed, right? Or even if you, if you had obeyed, or even if you disobeyed and you came back and accepted that you did things wrong, the Lord probably would have established you over Israel forever. He says specifically, if you had not sinned, if you had not done this, you, your house would have reigned as king over Israel forever. But he says that's not going to be the case anymore. We're going to have to find a replacement, right? We can't have the king disobeying the, the Lord and his commands. And so what happens is, you know, we're going to jump ahead in time, but essentially what happens is they go on a search for a new king. And eventually they find this guy named David. Now David was like pretty much the opposite of Saul. He was not revered as a great warrior. He was a shepherd. He was a young boy, right? He, he wasn't even like the firstborn son in his household. He was like kind of viewed as like a pretty boy, not a warrior at all. And so he is chosen because the Lord looked at his heart and saw that his heart was focused on him, had a deep love for God. But here's the thing. David is made king, and there's this whole resistance that Saul puts up, and he tries to keep things under his control, and we know how that always works for people. And 
Eventually, David becomes king. And David lives as king, and he's called a man after God's own heart. Right? This is, this is a guy who he had it figured out spiritually. He knew what it meant to love God, and he understood what it meant to follow God and to lead others as they followed God. And the thing that we see is that didn't make David exempt from sin. He actually committed a very egregious sin. David, he, uh, he was at his palace and he saw this woman bathing on the roof and he got carried away and he invited her over and he committed adultery with her. And then he found out that, he was, or that she was pregnant with his child. And so what did he do? He tried to manipulate the circumstance. So her husband was away at war and uh, he invited him to come back. And he was like, hey, you should go stay with your wife. And he's like, no, my, my other soldiers, they don't get a chance to stay with their families. So he slept outside uh, of the palace all night. And David was like, well, that doesn't work, right? My scheme failed. And so what he did was he had him sent to the front lines of war and had everyone else retreat. And he killed him. He had him killed. But this, this is a very, like, this is some serious messed up stuff, Right? Like, if you want to compare it by the world standards, like Saul like messed up because he like didn't follow great instructions and direction. David like committed adultery and then manipulated and deceived and lied and then had someone murdered, right? Like those are on like two different scales. So why was this one considered so messed up? He was not forgiven. And why is this one called the man after God's own heart? Well, it came down to their response. And so at first, David didn't really get it, right? He, he was kind of oblivious. He's like, you know, he was caught up in his sin. He was like kind of enjoying it at the moment. And he like just kind of had the blinders on. And so this guy, Nathan, shows up and he's, he's about to, you know, like kind of read David the riot act. And he realized, you know, he can't just like Go at the king and be like, you're terrible, you're the worst, like, you're, you're basically, you know, you're a terrible king, you're a terrible spiritual leader. And so what he does is, he tells him a story, he says, hey, imagine there is a guy that's super rich, he's got these huge flocks of sheep and goats and cattle and all this different stuff, and then he said, and then imagine there is a very poor man. And this poor man, he only has one sheep. And he's just a lamb. And he cares for it so much. He cares for it almost like it's his child. Because it's the only thing he has. And then imagine someone comes into town. Someone very prestigious. And, and, and this rich man goes to greet him. But he doesn't want to give him something from his own flock. So he goes and he takes the poor man's goat and sacrifices it for him and, and, and gives it to him as food. He goes, imagine, he goes, what would you do in that circumstance? And David's like, show me where this guy is, right? Like, we're about to take him down. Like, that, we cannot stand for that. That's a mess, right? That is wrong. That is not okay. That guy should be put to death. He took what wasn't his. And Nathan goes, that's you, dude. 
He's like, dude, he's like, you sin. He's, that is exactly what you did. You have to figure it out. You did exactly against uh, someone else, against the Lord, against your people, against your duties. He goes, you have messed up. And we get this picture in 2 Samuel 12. So turn with me to 2 Samuel 12, 13 of David's response. Because what happens is Nathan, he, he, he's, he's kind of set as, as the Lord's mouthpiece in that situation, right? He goes and he convicts David and then he reads David all these terrible, horrible things that are about to happen to him because he sinned. He says, here are the consequences. Here's the way that the Lord is gonna punish you. And... Here is David's response in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't respond by saying, hey, maybe if she wasn't, you know, taking a bath on her roof for me to see. He didn't look at it and say, she's the one that showed up to my invitation to the palace. He didn't look at it and say, her husband was obviously neglecting her at war. He didn't even want to go home when I invited him back. He wasn't a skilled enough warrior to be able to handle himself. That's why he died. There was none of that. There was not a single excuse on his lips. There was one thing. He accepted responsibility for his sin. He responds in one sentence. I have sinned against the Lord. Six words that we avoid at all costs. Because that's tough. It's tough to admit that we messed up. It's tough to admit that it's on us. But it is. Your sin is your fault. And I, and I, I know that sounds incredibly blunt. Please hear, hear from me. I love you. And that's why I'm telling you this. And, and I'm in the same boat as you. My sin is my fault. But I love you enough to not sugarcoat it. Your sin is your fault. When you disobey God, when you choose to turn away from the way that the Lord has instructed you, that's on you. It's not on your circumstance. It's not on other people. It's on you. It may be more difficult for you. It may be more challenging I'll give you that. But you're still responsible. You're responsible for the choices you make. The only way to deal with your sin is to accept that it's on you. That it's your active disobedience. If you try and blame it on everyone else, you try to blame it on every circumstance, you try to blame it on every other thing coming into your life, you know what's going to happen? There will always be an excuse. There will always be a reason. You will keep doing it. 
But the thing that set David apart from Saul, yeah, he may have done something way worse in the, in the, in the eyes of the world, but his heart accepted the responsibility. His heart knew the depth of his sin. And, David, or, and Nathan's response to David is this. He says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He says, All these things are going to happen to you because of your sin. And this is David's response. And, and Nathan goes, All right. That's what we needed to hear. Now you have forgiveness. Now you have mercy. Now, David was not without consequence for this. Please hear that. Like He, he had a, a, a bunch of consequences that came from this. But the Lord relented. The Lord showed him mercy. The Lord forgave his sins. And if you would, turn with me to Psalm 51. And if you don't know what the book of Psalms is, it's really like David's journal. Or a lot of them are written by David. There's a couple written by some other people, but a majority of them are written by David. And they're kind of like his, his, his journal, his diary, right? Where he would go and he would write and be just brutally honest with where he was at, what he was struggling with, and turning to the Lord in prayers and songs and poems and all these different things. And in Psalm 51, he goes and he, he writes this psalm during this period, right? Right after he had been confronted by Nathan as he goes to the Lord after he knows the depth of his sin. And there is this beautiful passage that shows his heart and why he is called a man after God's own heart, even in the face of his sin. It says this, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. See, there's this beautiful understanding that David has here. He says, he says I'm deserved. Or that, that sin, that punishment, or the punishment that happens is because of my sin. It's deserved. You're righteous in killing me. You're righteous in ending everything that I've struggled for in my life. That would be the right thing to do, Lord. Lord, but I know that you are merciful. I know that you care for me and that you have this, this deep love for me. And Lord, I pray that according to those things, that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me, you would scrub it away, you would scrub the sin away from me. And it's this beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus Christ will come for in the New Testament, right? Everything about what David says here is, anything I've done is sin. Anything I've done is a mess. Anything I've done is wrong, and the only way I am made right is through your actions, through what you do. And that's the truth of the gospel. We are sinners, right? Our sin has earned us death, 
That is the wage. We only earn a ticket to hell separated from God. And there's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of coming to church. There's no amount of nothing that we can do to earn redemption. You can't have a good enough spiritual resume to get accepted. Because you've sinned. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. All that he did was righteous. All that he did was good. And he never sinned. And you know what? He went to the cross because he loved you and he loved me. And he wanted to see us redeemed. He wanted to see us forgiven. Because of his steadfast love and his mercy, he went to the cross to blot out our transgressions. And he died with his blood being the sacrifice, being the very soap which our sins are washed away with. And then he rose again, showing that he was God, that it had been done. And what Jesus says is, confess. He says, you want to know who I came for? I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the people who thought they had it all together. I didn't come for the people who make excuses. I came for the people who know that they're a mess. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the people who know they're spiritually bankrupt, that the only wage they earned was death. Blessed are those people because they understand the situation they're in. Everyone else is just fooling themselves. He says, you want to know who I came for? The people with a broken and a contrite heart. The people who know the depth of their sin and their need for a savior. That is who Jesus came for. And so tonight, if you're, you're making excuse after excuse, if you're trying to give justification after justification, you are kidding yourself. You're trying to keep this charade of pride, of of having it all together, up. You don't. And you won't, ever. The only way is through salvation that comes from a understanding of the depth of your sin and an understanding of your need for Jesus Christ. That's it. And so tonight, you may be sitting and struggling and wrestling with just this feeling of, man, I keep going back to my sin and I keep going back to my sin. How do, I, how do I change things? How do I work through it? Stop following yourself. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop trying to do what you think is best. Stop turning to anything else but the instructions that the Lord gives us in his word. It's not 
this thing that's like, oh, you got to do this to get to heaven. Oh, you got to do this to get to heaven. You need to ask the Lord to be your Lord and Savior. But when you do that, what you acknowledge is, I will follow you. I don't have it figured out. So show me how I can live. And Jesus says, look to the word that I've given you. Look to the instructions that I've left for you. And that comes from his word. I want to finish with this. Because I think this is a great response in the face of an understanding of the depth of our sin. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about what our reaction to sin should be. Right? And, And... Tonight, right, if you understand the depth of your sin and your need for a Savior, the answer to that is the gospel. And I would love to talk to you more about the gospel. I would love to encourage you or pray with you or or answer any questions you may have. That's the first step. But for those of us who are believers, right, who have said, Jesus, you are our Lord, right, when we sin, when we mess up, we should know the depth of that sin. We should know the penalty that that's incurred. Now, we have the forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but we should still feel a weight of that sin, a responsibility for what we did. And Jesus says, if you feel that responsibility, you should look to stopping. This is the idea of repentance. He says, repent. Repenting is asking for forgiveness, but then not going back and doing it again. And he says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. He says, if you understand the depth of your sin, this should kind of be your guideline or your response. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than it is for your whole body to go into hell. Now what Jesus is not saying here is he wants a bunch of pirates follow him, right? With the eye patch and the hook on hand. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, we need to go out in the lobby and start doing this. What he's saying is, you gotta start taking your sin seriously. If the wages of sin is death, and you know the depth of your sin... And you know the severity, the seriousness of sin. Why are you not going to serious lengths to stop sinning? Man, if your job is causing you so much stress and and, and it's just a bad work environment and you go home and all you can do is just think about how you need this to numb the pain or there's people that are just talking about it all day at work. Maybe it's time for you to start putting in some applications elsewhere. Man, if you're finding temptation from your smartphone to go to sites you know you shouldn't be on, maybe it's time for you to have a flip phone. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, people may look at you odd. But if sin is serious, take it serious. Maybe it's time for you to go to a treatment facility. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Man, if you know you can't get past a certain milestone, who have you talked to? Who have you asked maybe to come stay at your house or to be texting you day after day after day, encouraging you to stay the course and holding you accountable? Or have you been doing it at all? Man, what tonight is, is it's a call to check where your heart is at. Are you responding to your sin like Saul? Justifying it, avoiding it, pretending like it's not there, trying to sweep it under the rug, trying to pretend like it's not a big deal, or you were forced to do it? It was justified? That it's everyone's fault but yours. Are you avoiding responsibility? Are you avoiding taking your sin seriously? Or are you responding like David? Are you seeing the depth of your sin? Are you seeing your need for forgiveness and mercy that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ? And are you turning to him for strength, turning to him for instruction in order to take that sin seriously? So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, Maybe you're feeling really convicted tonight and you need to talk to someone about it or you need someone to pray with you to help that to stick in your heart. Or maybe you need some encouragement to really take some drastic steps to stop that sin. Or like I said, maybe you have questions about the gospel and what the gospel means. We're gonna have leaders down front. You'll see me around. We would love to pray with you. We would love to encourage you. We would love to have you come and and talk through those things and what it means to truly follow Christ as Lord. But truthfully, it's a tale of two kings and you have to figure out how you're going to respond. Let's pray together. Lord, just month after month, week after week, day after day, hour by hour, you are just continually reminding me of how thankful I am for the gift of salvation that you've given me. Lord, and I I pray that tonight the depth of our sin would weigh heavy on our hearts not to push us to shame, not to push us to despair, but to push us to the salvation that is found in you, the joy that is found in you as our mighty God, as our Prince of Peace, as our salvation, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to respond with a heart that accepts that responsibility and turns to you in it. Lord, and accepts the gift of grace and mercy that you've given us through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection. Lord, and I pray that tonight as we go, we go through our day, we go through our week, we go through this holiday season, Lord, that you would help us to take our sins seriously, that we would truly repent, seek your forgiveness, and turn away from sin. Lord, we love you, and we trust in you. You your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen.